to the Rugby Coaches Corner podcast with your host, Andy Plymer. Bringing you up-to-date coaching concepts from the world of rugby. Sharing ideas to make the game better. Welcome to episode number 82 of the Rugby Coaches Corner podcast. I'm your host, Andy Plymer, and joining me today is Joe Winpenny. Joe is the Director of Rugby at Oxford Brooks University RFC, a Rugby Development Officer at Oxford University, and Scrum Coach at Oxford Harlequins RFC. Joe played over 200 first-grade games for Chinor RFC, the club where he also first started coaching, and it's a pleasure to have him on the show, so welcome, Joe. Thanks, Andy. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no worries. What? Uh, so, t- tell me a bit about Chinor and your rugby playing backstory as as you move through that club. Cool. So, uh, wasn't where I started playing my, my my rugby. I started at a little village, a little village club club called Wheatley. Um, probably uh, around under sort of under twelves, uh, and then at that point made it into the into sort of the county setup. So, for, played for I ended up playing for Oxfordshire under twelves. And um, the coach at that time was the head coach of the age group at Chinna, and basically said, you know, I think you you, you should come you should come over and, and play with us. Um, I think you, you you're learning you your ability to to develop will get better, um, and I think you'll improve as a player. And then I was there for twenty years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So yeah, obviously came up through the age groups, played my first first team game at eighteen. Um, and then was in the was was part of that first team until until, until I left the club in 2014. So the last the last three years of that uh, uh, the time there was as first team captain um, and led the you know obviously with the with the help of the other players uh, we managed to get the club to uh, to level four. So we got promoted in a playoff game uh, to level four and then finished. My last season at the club finished sixth in level four. Then obviously the club's gone on to to, to do some good things and is now playing at level two with aspirations to to move up to level uh, sorry level three with aspirations to move up to level two. So that would be championship. Right. Oh, awesome. So yeah, I think it was a uh, it, it's been a bit of a journey because there are a few promotions and relegations within that time. Mm. Uh, but you know, without doubt, my fondest my, you know apart from the stuff that I'm doing now. Uh, from a playing point of view, the, maybe the last sort of three or four years at the club were, were, were my fondest, my fondest time as a as a player um, for for a few reasons. Really, um, we the the head coach at the time, a guy called Jason Bowers, really did did a great job of connecting the connecting the club. So all the way through the minis, the juniors, and the and the senior setup, um, we you know we were we. As senior players, we were made to sit down with the supporters after a game uh, for at least fifteen minutes before we went off and did our own thing, so that we cool. could we could connect up with the, the supporters. And then on a Sunday morning, we'd be we'd be coaching the minis and the juniors. Um, yeah. I think that that really, you know. And then on top of that, the, the recruit from a recruitment point of view, Jay wasn't massive on bringing players in from all over the all over the place. He wanted to make sure that the club was in a place that it would attract the best local talent. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, so most of most of the players that played for us during that time either came through the minis and juniors section, or were attracted from the the other clubs in sort of Oxfordshire, Berkshire, and Buckinghamshire. So yeah, he did a great job to sort of connect the club up and, and recruit in a in a good way to make it and made it made it a great environment for us all to play. Yeah, awesome. That's a that's a pretty good blueprint as well you've provided there on how how to how to make your club successful. Uh, I like it. Awesome. And um, your coaching journey, you had, a, you had a bit of a legend of coaching tap you on the shoulder and say, okay, you're up. Could tell us a bit about how you first started coaching and uh, how that kind of developed in those early days. Cool. So uh, Lynn, Lynn Evans, uh, a lot of people will probably know know Lynn. So Lynn worked for the RFU over here for 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 ages. Um, he won a special recognition award. Got why he hasn't got an MBE or a knighthood or anything yet is beyond me. But mm-hmm. um, maybe that might be something to to have a think about some some honours for him. Um, but it just in terms of uh, at, during my teenage years, he set up a um, he was the Oxfordshire Youth Development Officer. 
so before they were before they were rugby development officers, it was specifically looking at developing the youth, the, right. the younger players. And um, he set up uh, a tri- sort of a trial experiment with the players from the best players from Ox- Oxfordshire, Berkshire, and Buckinghamshire, and it was called the Thames Valley School of Excellence. Um, so that was sort of 13, 14, 15 year olds. It was a three year project. Mm-hmm. And, um, it was basically to see what the, what the effects that, so Lynn's big influence is, is Pierre Vilpra, mm. um, just in terms of hit Pierre's methodologies. And Lynn at that time was quite into his research behind the methodologies and basically set this project up to see what the difference could be between players at 13 to 15 after three years of exposure to the to the methods and the type of coaching that, that, that Pierre uh, that, that Pierre um, how Pierre coaches and um, that's when our relationship started so Lynn mm-hmm. was coaching that I was I was player within that within that sort of section Lynn at the time was also head coach of Chinna first team so then three years later when I've come to start playing first team at, at Chinna he was my head coach there. Um, and we basically stayed in touch ever since. So obviously he left, he, at that point he left Chinna and Jay took over and we just stayed, we just stayed in touch. Mm. And, um, in 2000 and yeah, 2004. So just before I left the club, I did my level two and Lynn was basically the re I would say the, the influence that Lynn had on me as a player and the way that he coached, he was the re- probably the reason that I that that I took the jump into coaching. Mm. Just and he inspired me so much in in how the game could be played, um, and the way that he was sort his approach to his approach to the game. That you know when he t- when he turned around, just an off the cuff conversation, saying, "Look, I think you should get into coaching. I think you'd be great at it." Then I said, "Yeah, why not? Let's, <laughs> start, let's, start, this, let's start this journey." So, yeah, I mean that just started off basically coaching the under 16s at Chinna and then sort of develop from there. Yeah, that's, that's pretty awesome. And, um, you so you now, uh, you know, you've, you've had a bit of a journey and, um, you now, you know, a number of different roles there at Oxford Brooks university. Um, uh, what, what, what's a bit of a description of your role with Oxford Brooks university and, you know, when, when you are in season, unfortunately we're not right now. Um, what, what, what would a normal week look like for you? So, uh, training, training nights will, you know, cause obviously it's still a, a part-time It's a part-time role that I do on top of my rugby development officer stuff mm-hmm. at Oxford Uni, but, um, a normal week would be, uh, so the program has grown in the last two years from, um, two teams. So first and the second team to, uh, at the start of next season, if we get started next season, obviously, mm-hmm. uh, we'll have five men's teams. So that's in two wow, seasons. That's two awesome. Teams. Yeah, so we've had some we've had some some amazing growth, uh, and we'll probably have sort of like an intramural competition offer as well. Mm. So something where the where you know, and we we still got to work out how we're going to do it. Um, and then on, the, on top of that, a women's section and a uh, and a seven section as well. So really, a day the day to day is is just managing all of that, mm-hmm. um, as well as on a, as well as on the field stuff. So a lot of off the field stuff that might be. You know, helping our sponsorship, the sponsorship secretary secure sponsorship. That might be, you know, helping some of the coaches with their development, their their idea for their individual development plans. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that might be talking to an individual player about some work ons and showing, getting some video and that's so getting some clips up together. So pretty, it's a pretty, it's a pretty full on role, and um, and it, I must admit, it's hard to do it on a part time basis. Mm-hmm. But you know, coaches, coaches are are coaches and probably give a lot more. A lot more time than they get paid for. hundred percent. Yeah. So, so yeah. I mean, it, my my journey at Brooks really started off when the current Oxfordshire Rugby Development Officer, so the previous Oxford Rugby Oxfordshire Rugby Development Officer, went into the club or went to the. So at that time, so I don't know, go all the way back five years ago, um, for six years ago, the club basically didn't exist. So. Mm-hmm. Um, what what they, what had happened is the social side of the rugby club had started to interfere with the performance side mm-hmm. or, and affect the reputation, which sometimes can happen in university. And university For sure. In any club, club, yeah, yeah. Uh, 
exactly. So the director of sport at that time decided to uh, basically said to the rugby club, "That's it. No longer you're no longer a thing. You're not playing anymore." So the rugby development officer was a guy called Dusty Miller, who now works for the English Institute of Sport. He, as part of his targeted work for for the RFU, getting the program up and running was one of his projects. So he asked, would I like to come in and, and, and help? And I said, yeah, that would be great. You know, I'm looking for looking to get a bit more experience. So I just came in as a, an assistant coach to him at that point. Mm-hmm. And this was 2000, uh, 2015. Um, and at that point, we really were just, this is all about participation. Yeah. Um, shouldn't really be on our radar at the moment. Obviously, if we want to, you know, there probably will be some, because, Oxford Brooks is a bit of a strange university in the fact that it attracts the same type of student that would go to Oxford University. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of them private, uh, from the private private school background. Um, so they, they where they played rugby there of their whole school lives. Mm, yeah. Uh, so we we knew that there was a a a they, we knew that there were going to be some decent players out there. We've just got to get them wanting to pull on a Brook, a Brook shirt. Mm. Uh, so participation was literally the, the focus for the first year or so, or year and a half. And then when uh, Dusty then stood, stood down he got a different role with the RFU, I took over as, uh, he still sort of was the director of rugby, but from a distance. Mm-hmm. I, took over as, I took over as head coach. And then a year later, Dusty stood down and I then took over as, as director, of, director of rugby from there. Mm. Yeah, but so like I say, in those in the in the last two years, we've grown an extra, we've grown an extra, and all the other stuff that comes with it, we've moved. So the camp, the, the university doesn't have its own facilities, mm-hmm. which makes it a challenge. So we three year, for the last three years, not including last season, three years before that, we were at Oxford Rugby Club, um, but it was taking the lads uh, and the girls because we all trained at the same facility. Mm-hmm. It was taking them up to an up to an hour to get to training oh wow yeah. um, so just you know a year ago the uh, the RFU invested in a, in an AGP in an artificial grass pitch right at Oxford Harlequins uh, which is about as the so I asked the lads how long did it take you does it take you to get to training now and they said tops 10 minutes right yeah, perfect so that's I think the growth of last year's growth could be attributed to attributed to, to the, the mm. fact that our facilities were a lot closer um, so yeah we've, we've, there's, there's been lots of development really and it's, it's an exciting project to be involved at, at, the, at the speeds which are going to hopefully make things exciting yeah for sure uh, that, that sounds awesome sounds like there, there's well you mentioned growth you mentioned development uh, quite a few times in that in that chat what about you personally as a coach what have been some of the you know the big learnings the big takeaways the highs and lows those kind of things yeah I think um, probably for there was one one point probably about two seasons ago where I had a big there was a big learning moment so um, we were the first team in particular mm. uh, this was this, yeah, we were due, we were top of the league going into Christmas, mm-hmm. um, and basically with everything that we'd done prior to prior to Christmas was all game based, uh, loads of variation, lots of different problems for the players to for the players to to, to solve on the pitch, mm-hmm. uh, lots of lots of constraint lots of constraints put on games so that we could we you know we could hopefully see some behaviours and some some stuff emerge. And then we got to Christmas and the coaches sat down and said, you know, I don't think we're working enough on, on, on our isolated, uh, you know, uh, and this was a conversation that we had as a coaching group. We don't think mm-hmm. we're not working enough on our, on our isolated skills. And we came back and we probably spent a, a good month or so, probably where we flipped stuff around and said, right, 70% of our, of our, of our session is now going to be based on, on skill development. But, you know, my my view of skill development from then to now has completely changed. Mm. Uh, but this was the conversation that we were having, um, and we'd probably do thirty percent of our stuff will be based around games. So we were top of the league, um, probably looking odds on to, to to win the league, and then we uh, we went. So we came back from for the first game, um, and then we proceeded to lose the next four games. <laughs> Some good feedback. So, 
Yeah, some great feedback. So <laughs> that you know that that when when we sat down at the end of the season and had our end of season review we, we, as a coaching team, we sort of sat there and said, yeah, well, probably what we were doing before was working a little mm. bit. So you know, I don't. Why, yeah, you know, why did why did we make the decision the decision to do that? Um, and you know, I I can't really put I can't really give you an answer to that. You know, we we felt it was the right thing to do at the time, but mm. you know, the longer that I've worked with this this group of this group of players is actually for them to for them to get better, they need a lot of prep. They need pressure. So you know, we put them into and if I if we fast forward to now, we everything's done everything's done through games. Mm. Uh, you know. Skill development stuff will be even if we have a skill break, a skill zone breakout, mm. that'll be a mini game. Um, yeah, they'll very rarely do anything done in isolation where they're applied mm. by by either a defender, time, space, or equipment. Um, so we're you know we've we've found, and then when we look at when we go into a let's say the lads want to do an unopposed team run, and and we say yeah that's fine, that everything drops. So the skill level drops, and so that the feedback to, from feedback that I'm getting from that, and the observations that we're making, is that actually they need they need some pressure. Mm. They perform with a bit of pressure, so mm-hmm. you know that's been really big. That's been really big learning for me. Um, one thing from this season, which has been really big, is as when it was just when it was just the two teams, that was really easy to to, to manage. Uh, because obviously you're only just picking two teams. You've got two teams that are training. As we've as we've grown, uh, I've not been very good at delegating more. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm still not controls the wrong word, but you know, uh, sort of the stuff that you've put in place or the systems that you've got in place for the season for everything to run smoothly are sort of yours. And then that I've the learning that I've taken from that is. I've, you know, I probably haven't given people enough information around those the type of things that that need doing on a week to week basis. So therefore, yeah. I used to just do it all myself. Yeah. Um, so big work on for me next year is to is to try and delegate a little bit more to to not just to the coaching staff but to the senior players. Um, the, the reason I say that is because ultimately, when the when the lads arrive with us as freshers as freshmen. They're, they're, you know, they're, 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 they're kids essentially. They're eighteen-year-old. Mm. They're, they're men uh, on a on a piece of paper, but they're, they're, they're kids, and it's our responsibility. I think we, you know, we've got a responsibility to them to help them become decent young men by the time that they leave. Yeah. So we will now. We, you know, whilst we do involve, are probably going to involve them in a lot more of the planning and the organisation and the administration of the club next year than I have done previously. For two reasons, it's it's going to help them as as young men, mm. but also it's going to it will take the uh, it will take the pressure off off me and the other coaches to a certain extent. Yeah, for sure. No, there's some there's some great lessons that you've you've brought to attention there, and I I think coaches listening would you know resonate, especially the last one. I, I know myself um, when I'm in a head coaching role that you know ability to let go and just you know worry about what I'm doing and then come back around and and chat to your fellow coaches about how their session went. Uh, it, it's a challenge for sure. And it's, I think it's just about being passionate and you've got a really clear vision on how you would like to see your, your practice rolled out. And, uh, if you feel it deviates from that, that's when you, you start getting a little bit, a little bit twitchy. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and also, you know, if, it, if, if we, if I'm, if other people are doing other stuff, then I can worry about coaching. Mm. Um, I, you know, I've noticed that this year in particular because, you know, the right the right bits of kit haven't been bought out because the mm. lads just, you know, and there's no fault with theirs. They, you know, they need to learn. Um, they've just walked past the they've walked past the kit cupboard and not bought anything out. So, you know, the coaches have to go back in there and pick it and, and get it out. If we if we have sort of specific roles for people, and, mm. you know, we can if we can prime the players a little bit more and say, okay. You know, Joe Hunt, who's our fifteen slash ten. You know, you're bringing the balls out tonight. Yeah. You know, try try and prime the players a little bit more so that we, as a coaching group, can focus on coaching. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, hundred percent. And um, you one of the one of the many roles you've got there. You're also uh, heading up the coach development side of things. How, how, how's that look? And how how are you running that with your fellow coaches? And and what would what would people kind of see if they were sitting in on a session or two with that kind of stuff? So, what in terms of what what we sort of got? So we've got we've got a performance coaching team. So their their responsibility will be to to look after, and essentially they're the lead coaches that will look after the first and the second team. And then one thing. So with regards to those guys, we're quite uh, this year. A guy called Grant Hathaway has, has joined us now. Grant is Grant works for the RFU as a player development officer, um, uh, but he's also he's just finishing his level four and he's also you know he's also a bit you know a, a, a coach developer so with the with the with the performance coaches there's they're sort of they sort of look after themselves a little bit from a development point of view but mm-hmm. for the teams for the 13 14 15 they are they're headed up well their they're lead coaches are students right so what, what what we're trying to do is give some of our our injured players or some of our more senior players or even players that might be doing uh, sports coaching courses at, mm. at Brooks that need a bit of industry experience. We're, we're giving them an opportunity to run the tip, run those, run that third team, that fourth team, that 15. Awesome. So with, so rather than uh, we'll, we'll do a lot more formalized sort of coach development stuff next year, but this year it has been around sort of support, just supporting, which is with, Helping them develop a philosophy, uh, have some have some conversations about the type of coach that they want to be because you know a lot a lot of them don't know, haven't probably thought about that mm, for sure. So uh, you know it's just sort of supporting them and then when they run a session, you know micro review their session. So you know what went were the objectives met, what went well, what would you change next time? Um, you know or, you know micro review it so that they've got some stuff that they can take away and work on next. Mm. Uh, in the coming weeks so because of time I would love to I would love to be able to formalise that a little bit more and use use you know use Grant's expertise in that area to, to maybe run some you know say to the lads the players you know the session's not on this the session's not on tonight uh, but the coaches are going to be doing the coaches are going to be doing a, a, a coach development uh, evening, and, you know, mm. and, that, and, and that could be something gene- generic or that could be based on the coach's needs, which is what I probably prefer. So we look to survey the coaches and say, you know, what areas do you guys want to look at? Yeah. Um, and, then, and then, and then ask them to ask them to look at that. We've, we've set up a, we've set up a survey monkey uh, survey for the coaches this year. So that they can feed back on on seven seven areas of, of their uh, seven areas in which they would they would like to improve. So um, that feedback starting to come in, which will be able to sort of it will let give us an opportunity to be able to give those guys some some individual individual yeah. development and, and help them with their own IDPs because they probably you know they might not have thought about they might not have thought about it in the past. So. Uh, yeah, it's been really informal, but I think what what it has done is is give you know the way that we've structured it, it has given the lads an opportunity, especially the the, the young guys, an opportunity to to to, to improve um, and a, and an opportunity to actually get out there and coach because uh, you know you see it quite a lot when the with with the with you know young coaches or assistant coaches they you know they sometimes they're not they're not doing a great deal. Yeah, and that's what I wanted to. That's one thing I wanted to avoid. I really wanted to make sure that these guys have got to done their done their level two. So they need let's get them out and let's get them coaching. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's no good. They're not learning anything if they're just going and setting some cones up. Yeah, or you know, they're learning stuff if they're being an assistant coach. But you know, I'm, I'm if they are going to be an assistant coach, I think be if you're the lead coach of the session, be intentional around what you want them to do. Um, because you know, if you when they're you know when they're learning, if you're if you're if you're saying actually, all I'd like want you to do is focus on, in this practice is focus on this area, or I'm going to take team A, you take team B, we'll co- so that we have an understand you know mm-hmm. we have an understanding of you know you're getting an understanding of attack and defence. So yeah, it's been it's been informal, but 
but it's been it's been good because I think the, the the guys definitely towards the end of the season because they've got that experience, they're a little bit more confident. Are, are much more keen to uh, to run some stuff. So, yeah. Cool, yeah. Sounds like there's some real potential there for growth uh, and you're probably going to be inspiring some future coaches uh, to come out of that um, and they'll, you know, they'll remember that was the first place where they, they first picked up a whistle. So it sounds awesome. Um, yeah. Hopefully, you know, hopefully, and I hope when they, you know, when they do graduate that, that, that they can that they continue. We got we got one lad, uh, a guy called a kid called George Amphet, who um, is actually part of the performance coaching team. So mm-hmm. he was he he's a second year um, on a four year course. He got injured. Uh, well, he thought that he had uh, repeat. He was having repeated concussions. Mm-hmm. Um, he went and saw one of the, the a guy called a doctor called Richard Sylvester, who's one of the leading uh, leading neurosurgeons in the in the country, and basically all clear to start playing again. But George didn't play for for half of this season, so he started playing again in in, in December after he got the all clear. So I'm you know having seen him play last year and the influence that he had on the team as a first year. I really wanted to keep him involved in the club and not mm. let him drift away. So I, I, you know, offered him a offered him a coaching role and said, you know, would you come in? Would you, you know, would you come in and help help us with the backs? Because at that time, the backs, our backs coach had been promoted to head coach in the women's section. Right. So, uh, so we had a we had a spot um, essentially come up quite late notice as well. So George George took that up and he. Like he has just so much potential uh, to to do some really good stuff uh, in the in the world of coaching. I, I believe that you know he's back to playing now, so next season he's going to have to juggle playing and and coaching. But mm-hmm. you know it's not, it's not it's hard, but it's not impossible. Um, but it, yeah, he's got some you know is he he you know the lads the lads. He gets responses from the lads, and he mm-hmm. has the lads respect him, which is really, which is really important. So, yeah, uh, yeah I'm really excited to see how he develops over the next uh, over the next two years with us, and then hopefully on. No, oh, awesome! It's, uh, it'll be a good outcome for sure. And what about you as a coach yourself? What's your favourite part of the game to coach, and, and why? Uh, I, I love attack. Yeah. Um, it's, as a as a as an ex-prop forward, you don't often hear. <laughs> of course, natural <laughs> answer. Saying they love attack. It's, it's usually it's usually set piece or defence. Mm. But you know, I just love. I lo- you know, the, the the thing that I like the most about attack is is seeing a defensive pitcher and trying to prov- and, try, and trying to trying to help the lad solve that problem. Mm. Um, so yeah, I just you know I love what I really like about it is the the, the, the when you know the fluidity of it coaching and they say if, you, if you're coaching in a certain way and you're trying to remove structure and things like that then yeah I just I just I, I get a kick out of it when there's something that you've been working on uh, and it starts to click so for example we're we're big on you know we're big on coaching through principles mm-hmm. so awesome. we will try and coach we'll try and coach through you know mainly uh, go forward and support so yeah. whether that's support or support the space so much in the same way as as, as Pierre, Pierre yeah. would. would uh, I probably do things a little bit differently, as I'm not as I'm probably not as prescriptive in the fact, you know, not as uh, I don't set the defences up as Pierre would. Pierre would set group little groups up mm. so that they're a whole that's a bit more obvious. Um, I, you know, I would tend to look at the def- you know setting the defence up in a in a normal defensive line because we we will vary up we will. Very rarely, unless we go into a breakout zone, play a small-sided game. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll usually play fifteen on fifteen because that's what you're going to experience. Yeah, you know that's going to experience on a Wednesday. Yeah. Um, so the defence would be set as a, as as they were for for a game on Wednesday, uh, but then that presents you know that presents its, its it, you know its problems to to the to the attack that they've got to try and solve out. So try and solve so. 
yeah, we're we're big on we're big on principles on on go forward and, and support. So whether that, like I say, whether that's the ball carrier or the space, um, we look at a lot of a lot of a lot of movement stuff. If the balls off, if the balls on the floor, it's a failure. Um, so we try and keep the ball off the floor as, as much as possible. Um, so yeah, I just I'd, it's just the area of the game that that, that gives me the most excitement, really. Yeah, it sounds like a, a French coach from the 90s with a British accent explaining how their sessions run. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, I'm, I'm going to be honest, the, the influence of, of, of Pierre Flynn mm. yeah. has has been a pretty, a, you know, and then some others that have similar sort of, out, similar sort of outlooks, um, out, outlooks with regards to that, so... Um, they've been pretty big on, on 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 the way that on the way that I try to coach it. Yeah, and how how would that differ in your in your competition that you're playing in? How would that style of you know keeping the ball alive if you go to ground it's a failure? Um, you know the principles of play. How would how would that differ across the league um, with the yeah. other teams that you play? It will, I think it would. Uh, it would be pretty vast. The difference would be vast, mm-hmm. I would say. Yes, we probably, you know, the one thing that we need to work on is is our own for, we probably we probably have a lot more unforced errors than a lot of other teams. Yeah, naturally, um, yeah. It's naturally because of yeah. the way we're trying to play. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, look at that stats from last year. There's, you know, there was a team, there's a team in our league who were were in in. in in with a chance of getting promoted, and whilst I I did the defense, the uh, our defensive stats for them, well, basically looked at their attack. Out of 113 phases in the game, they ran 98 of them off nine. Yeah, just wanting to win the collision and the game line. Uh, yeah, essentially, and a lot of teams will try and get into some sort of into some sort of structure and formation. Um, so there's another team, Nottingham Trent. Uh, they will they will want to they want they'll want to get into a one three three one shape. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, yeah, the way that we the way that we try and play is is vast. vast I don't think they would experience a lot. Of, they wouldn't experience. They only experience a lot. Of, there isn't a lot of ball movement or high ball movement, movement with yeah. with a lot of the other teams. Yeah, I mean it has its you know because of that it has its it has its risks. Um, and you know I, I I'm not going to lie when you know I'm going to say that the, you know it has its flaws as well in the mm-hmm. fact that. Because you know you're very susceptible. You're not if if you if you go to the floor and and the opposition win a turnover, then you know if they're good at moving the ball to the space, then mm. you you can be it, it can be quite dangerous because you know if if we're focusing on supporting the ball and uh, staying you know staying relatively close to the ball, if 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 half of the team is all moved around into the blind side to try and create more versus less. And they win a turnover and ship it into the ship it down onto the open side. Then you know we're we're scrambling. Then. Yeah. So yeah. You know, but uh, just in terms of enjoyment factor, because that's one thing that we have to. You know, results are important. Absolutely. But also yeah. Have, I have to think about the lads coming back each yeah. week. And one thing that we've said as a club is we want Monday, Wednesday, Friday to be the best part of the guys' weeks. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, so you know the the boys the boys are coming back, which which tells me that they enjoy the way that the, the, the which tells me that, that they enjoy the way that we're that we're trying to play. So, yeah. yeah, so yeah, no, that's a big one for me too. And you know any any style you play, whether it be defense or attack, there's always a a risk reward situation there. So um, yeah, yeah, are you? Uh, I remember when Pat Lamb was coaching Connacht and he openly said, look, we're going to play like we do, whether it's sunny and 20 degrees, which in Connacht would rarely be, uh, or if it's pouring down rain. What, how do you adjust with, uh, with the conditions with an with a open, fluid style of play like, like you're describing? Yeah, I mean, it, it, can, be, it can be a challenge. Um, um, but I think we, what we have to try and do is, is create situations in training that, let the lad, let the guys experience some of that stuff. So mm. if we haven't, if we haven't had rain for, for months, but we know one's going to be, you know, months in the UK. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if we haven't had it for, if we haven't had it for weeks, and, yeah. uh, but we know that Wednesday is going to be wet, you know, then we've got to get creative around that. Mm. You know, it's about, 
like let's let's get the balls wet before we go out to training let's mm. you know let's try and do some stuff that's going to replicate what what we might experience on wednesday um so yeah it, it can be a challenge especially against some of the teams that we play against in the fact that they will they'll play quite tight you know like you're saying winning the collision based mm. based and which sort of suits that you know suits the wet weather um but the the thing that has helped us this year in terms of playing trying to play the brand of rugby that we want to play is the fact that we're now like all of our home games are on the artificial pitch yeah yeah exactly it's gonna be fast yeah exactly and also you know whilst the ball gets wet it doesn't get wet like it would do in a Mm -hmm. like it would do on on a grass pitch so it, you know that definitely that has that it is it has helped the way that we want to play without yeah help. yeah oh, that's cool that's a really good last point awesome all right well you've mentioned Lynn Evans and Pierre Vilpera a couple of times there you you're also part of the planning group for one of their camps that they're putting on Le Placier de Mouvement camp uh, which is going to be in in Oxford in your area I think you mentioned October when we were talking off air. Um, can you can you talk a little bit about that? What's obviously hope you know COVID aside, hopefully it's gonna gonna go forward. Can you talk a bit about that that camp and what what that would involve? Yeah, so um, so my you know my my exposure to to the Le Plaisir de Mouvement was uh, first originally as a player. So in two thousand and uh, not two thousand when I was fifteen, mm-hmm, uh, Lynn, so Lynn, yeah. Lynn took a group of us out to uh, at that point it was in Montpellier. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, took a group of players out to Pierre's yearly uh, yearly camp that he held he holds now holds them in Lubasac, um and to experience a week of of coaching this way uh, with French coaches so everything was in French we you know the, us, us UK us kids from the UK apart from the ones that were doing GCSE French didn't really know what was saying what was going on but by you know by the end of the week you sort of you sort of picking it up and then it's time mm-hmm. to go home um, and then uh, when I was the, and then when I was 34 so nearly 20 years later uh, I went back to the camp as a coach um, so Lynn took a Lynn takes a group of coaches or invites a group of coaches out there out to Lubasac every year uh, to to and it's basically a it's a CPD opportunity. So mm. you just go and experience uh, what what Pierre and his gang like to do is uh, on the Thursday of, of each week is the the foreign co- the, the, the visiting coaches uh, can can run a session, um, which is pretty cool. So yeah. the, the the week there looks like so there's two sessions or a, a day. So there'll be the older the, and then alternate. So it might be the younger age groups in the in the morning, older age groups in the afternoon, and then they'll swap each day so that people are getting light, like kids are getting lions and things like that. Mm. But in, after lunch on each day, uh, Pierre does a, a coach development workshop. So he will, you know, he will talk about the methodology, some of the methodologies. Uh, some of the other coaches that were there would, would, would present on, on their, their findings. We'd look at some videos. So it's, it's basically a, a week-long CPD uh, mm. with, some pre- with some pretty cool social events. Uh, of <laughs> social course. Events, yeah, <laughs> as well. Yeah. Um, so, Mandatory. Uh, yeah, exactly. You know, you're in that area of, the, uh, uh, of France, what you mm. have to sample for points. Yeah, it's, yeah. We've not to. Um, <laughs> so Lynn, Lynn, is, Lynn goes every year, and, and he's been he, he's been talking to me for a long time about uh, about you know trying to get a camp running here in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, he's started co- well a couple of years ago. He started coaching at a uh, an inter- a small independent school in West Oxfordshire called Kingham Hill Kingham Hill School, um, and they have they have offered to 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 for us to use their, for, for Lynn to use their facilities to host this camp. Awesome. So we've had, we've had a couple of planning meetings already and we're looking to get a website set up and start taking, you know, start to hopefully start taking bookings and yeah, it's going to be, it, it, it'll, hopefully it'll work. Uh, I think Pierre is coming over for it. So Pierre will be, will, will be here coaching in it. Uh, and then a few of his, his others, a guy called Yannick, a guy called Sam Lacombe, 
David Aurora. So these are all guys that coach at, at Pierre's camp in, in Lubasek. So, uh, so yeah, it's, it's, it's exciting. And, you know, we're just working out what the budget looks like mm. and, you know, how we're going to promote it and all that type of stuff. So, uh, it, 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 you know, I, for me, for rather than anything, it's, it's, a, I'm just, I'm just keen to help Lynn achieve one of his, one of his dreams really, because mm. it's been something that he's, that he's wanted to do for a long time and if I can help him to, to do that in any way shape or form after all the you know all the support and stuff he's given me over the years then then you know that then I then I would really like to do that so yeah, yeah. fingers crossed COVID-19 goes away and we can we can get it going yeah well, I hope so and would people people who are interested how would they keep track of what's happening would they would they reach out to you via Twitter or what would be your best advice yeah. there yeah, I'd say get, drop me a drop me a private message on uh, a, a direct message on Twitter, and I can let you know where we are with regards to the, the planning the planning the planning stage. The website I think is going to go live very soon. I haven't got an exact date on that page and things like that. So yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Just drop me a drop me a line on Twitter, and then I'll, uh, I can let you know where we are with that. Cool, perfect. Uh, and I'll put your I'll put your Twitter details up on the website and in the show notes of this one. All right, awesome. Um, we always end the show with the same final four questions. When you were a kid growing up and, and you first started getting into rugby, who was one of the first players that you saw and uh, thought they were they were pretty awesome and you wouldn't mind trying to emulate? Well, it's different. hard for a prop forward to say Johnny Wilkinson, but I think you know John, John, uh, Johnny would probably be top of top of uh, top yeah. of a lot of people's list. I think the one thing that that I that I loved about Johnny was just how you know, and the more the more he was in, the more he got into the sort of the public eye, and the more that there was sort of stuff being released on him. Was just the professionalism of the man. Mm. Um, just at a time, you know, just after the game had turned professional, he, you know, he just took it like he took professionalism to another level, mm. uh, and sort of displayed what it what it takes to to be the best. Uh, and the sacrifices that you've got to make and the hours of training and things like that. But also, you know, when he, uh, as well as that, on the pitch, he, 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 the, the role of the fly half changed massively when he, when he came into, you know, when he came into the game, you know, all of a sudden you've got this 10 who in the past, you don't see 10 smoking people in defense. You know, and he's all, and then he's there just banging people. And, and 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 it you know I think it made the rest of the rugby world sort of sit up and go Jesus Christ we need mm. our tens to do some stuff in, yeah. in, in as well so yeah I just think he just you know I think he he the the that that impacted you know I was like Shit, I'd love to you know if I ever got the chance to play professionally I'd be I'd be that dedicated you know I'd be mm. you know had a you know it had a really yeah a big impact on me so yeah I, I just love the way that he sort of just changed the face of a professionalism but b what a fly what a fly half needs needs to be yeah absolutely cool and what about now who are some of the who are some of the players you like watching. I love I love watching Toulouse play uh, for yeah. obvious reasons. You know, there's massive, there's massive. Uh, you know, you can tell the guys that are coached the guys that now that that were coached by Pierre back in the day. And mm. You can see that. You can see you can see that just running through the way that they play. For sure, um, yeah. but I, but it's not actually a Frenchman. It's Cheslin Colby. Yeah, another um, another one who's uh, closely linked to a, a front row player. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so I just you know I love. I love it's almost, you know, he's, he's treading the treading the fine line between confidence and arrogance in the way that he plays. You know, you know, he's always he's such a threat with the ball in hand. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, he, if you look at where he, you know, where he plays for Toulouse, he plays across the back line, which shows that he's not, you know, that he's got versatility and he's mm. got skills that, that can that can slot into any 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 position across that back line and. And ultimately, that's what I think from a coaching point of view, that's what we're trying to look for from our players, you know. Absolutely. I'm trying to develop players, not just, not just to be props, you know. I'm trying to develop players to be players, you know, that can catch, that can pass, that can kick if required, mm. that can run, 
Um, and you know, you look at him, and he's like, you know, he's got the whole package. I think there was one game, one game where Toulouse played Poe, and they beat him by like ninety odd points last season. And he played number eight for one of the moves. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, you know, but that and and the number eight was a first receiver five meters out. So uh, there was only one. Uh, I think there was only one outcome with that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but you know, the fact that he could that he the fact that he can slot into all of those positions and, you know, if we look back to the World Cup final, in the most pressurised of moments, mm. can pull out that, you know, yeah. that try, that, you know, that exceptional step uh, to, to, to get that, to get around the outside. It was just, you know, hard for me as an Englishman, but also mm. great to see from, from one of my favourite current players. Yeah, for sure. Okay, third question. What about coaches? Probably, probably know your answer coming here. Uh, who are some of the coaches you look up to and admire? Well, obviously Pierre and Pierre and Lynn. Uh, Lynn just for Lynn just for his support that he's given to me over the years. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, off, off, you know, off air we were talking about. You know, his his, his house is about a mile away from mine, and he uh, not from my from my office, and he, he regularly comes in. Uh, comes in to see me and, and, and then he's there for the next hour and a half and uh, you know I'm able to run things by him and ask him what he thinks of, of you know this play or I'll clip some stuff up and ask him to have a look at it and he'll be able to give me some honest feedback on it and, you know it's just the support and, uh, and that, that he's given me over the over the over the, the last sort of 20 years that I've known him it's, I don't there aren't many there aren't many people out there that, that, that have done that so cool. um yeah, for that reason, then Pierre obviously for the for the for the for the way in which he coaches. Um, yeah. you, know, you, look, uh, you look at the French team of the nineties and, uh, uh, and, and the Toulouse team of the eighties and mm. the stuff that they the, the stuff that they were playing that they were playing then. Uh, you know, obviously without the size, the size and the strength of, of some of the players now, but in terms of skill level and uh, willingness to willingness to support, willingness to go forward willingness to, to, to play from anywhere really if it was on was is, is something that that I love and you know the fact that he gives players freedom to to make decisions uh, is 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 cool and has definitely rubbed on, rubbed off on me perfect cool and final question what about some uh, coaches in the grassroots uh, in your area that are doing good work cool so uh, to the first, uh, obviously there's George who I spoke about earlier so uh, a real cool up and coming coach, uh, still playing at the moment, but I think has a, has big big potential to, to to develop nicely into 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 a really outstanding coach in in the few years. Uh, he just needs to needs to apply himself and get himself onto some courses and stuff like that. But because mm-hmm. um, not that that's going to make you a good coach, but it will it will strengthen it will strengthen some stuff for him and might open his eyes up to some different some different some different ways of thinking mm-hmm. uh, he probably needs to uh, because he's got because he's got high standards as a player uh, really high standards of the player I think he needs to work on his empathy a little yeah. bit uh, yeah. so I think he demands those high standards from players but, yeah we've all been uh, guilty uh, of that <laughs> yeah exactly and I was I was originally but you For know sure. to, I think there's yeah, but I think he understands that he knows yeah, that we've had some conversations around that um, next would be Richie Williams. So Rich is the DOR at Cambridge Rugby Club. So uh, Rich and I go a long way back. Uh, he played with me at Chinna. Um, he then coached me at Amersham and Chilton, where I where I moved after Chinna, and then he's gone, having taken a real big. So he was he was the head coach of Brooks of Oxford Brooks before before their ban. Uh, and then after that, he took a real leap of faith and went and spent a couple of years coaching in Belgium mm-hmm. uh, with Ant- with Antwerp, uh, uh-huh. and then came back, took on the role at Amersham Chilter, and then since there has moved. Uh, since then, I think it was with Leicester, Leicester Lions, or and then has moved to, to Cambridge, um, and I think he's he's starting a bit of a of a. He's creating a nice environment from, in Cambridge. From what I, from all, from all that I hear from him, mm. he's looking. You know, he's doing some cool stuff around theming the season. So last the, yeah. last season, uh, he, he I sat in on a webinar with him last uh, last week, and 
he themed his season on um, on all F one. Yeah, Formula. Sweet. So so basically, uh, all of their all of their strike plays were named after the the F one tracks and mm. all of their um, they 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 likened themselves to the Haas team. So the Haas team are notoriously other on the team with the least resource. The less money, the least money, um, and at National One, Rich sort of thought that they were, they were similar. They were the most similar to, to that team, and yeah. he's engaged players with some of that theming. So, one of their one of their props is a graphic designer. So he's done loads of like images, which is which is sort of they've been their theme throughout the throughout the season. Mm. Uh, so you know, I just love, I, love, I love the idea of I love the idea of that. It's something that I'm gonna I'm gonna try and try and do with the boys next year if I get if I get the opportunity cool um, and then lastly from the grassroots game a guy called Tom Mowbray so Tom is, again played with me at China but Tom is a uh, community rugby coach for the RFU yeah uh, work, working in the Hertfordshire area uh, he started co- coaching at a club called Leighton Buzzard uh, two two seasons ago and at that time, they were really struggling for numbers. I know I had conversations with him, he was really struggling with that fact. And uh, I think he sort of he sort of reinvigorated the club over the last season. Numbers are as high as they've ever been. Uh, they've they've won. They just won the RFU Intermediate Shield uh, Intermediate Cup. Uh, so yeah, I think yeah, Tom's doing some really good stuff awesome. down there. Using his, using his good experience as uh, you know an RFU staff member, mm. so therefore his experience of developing rugby clubs and helping rugby clubs get going again and reinvigorating them. So he's using that as well as his coaching, uh, his coaching experience to to really turn that club around. So yeah, Perfect. those would be the three: Rich, Rich, Arm, and George. Good, good All right, sound like uh, sound like a good crew for sure. Awesome. Well, thanks very much, Joe, for coming on the show. Uh, really appreciate you giving thanks. up your time, and uh, you know it's a great. Uh, great journey that you're on and uh, hopefully we're all back on the field coaching really soon but really appreciated your time chatting thanks Andy cheers thanks for having me cheers mate appreciate it thanks for listening to the Rugby Coaches Corner podcast if you enjoyed the show please leave a review via iTunes and keep listening for the next episode Also follow us via Twitter at RugbyCoachesCNR or via the website therugbycoachescorner.com. Until next time, keep sharing ideas to make the game better.